Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Millions of animal populations have vanished in the last century, and those losses have only accelerated in the last few decades. In fact, scientists now say we're in a period of mass extinction. They believe 20% of all species are in danger of dying off in the next 30 years. And yes, that puts us in a mass extinction episode. That's all according to a paper recently published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. It's focused on vertebrates on the brink. And Joining us today to talk about it is one of the paper's authors. Uh, Peter Raven is the president emeritus of the Missouri Botanical Garden. So, Peter, thank you for joining us today. Great pleasure. Good to be here. Now, Peter, you start your paper by noting that there were five previous mass extinction episodes in the history of the world. What's the quick version of what caused those five? Well, climate changes, volcanoes, uh, things like that. The latest one, the one when the dinosaurs bit the dust 66 million years ago, had to do with a huge meteorite hitting the Earth off the end of what's now the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico and sending up an opaque cloud that stopped plants and other things from working well for several years. So that's the fifth. Uh, you say we're now in the sixth. This is already upon us. What is the source of all of this catastrophe and annihilation? Well, human beings, um, 400 generations ago, 10,000 years ago, is when we started agriculture. At that time, there were about a million of us, and about 100,000 was the total population of Europe. In other words, the total population of Europe, when we invented agriculture, could have fit into a football stadium, hmm. which is kind of amazing to contemplate. And we've grown over the last 400 generations to where there are now 7.9 billion of us uh, going for nearly 10 billion in the next 30 years. Yeah, that's a huge and change right the, there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an unbelievable change. We are absolutely indelibly and inextricably a part of the global biosphere, the living system of other animals and plants and other organisms that produce the air we breathe, the soil and everything else. But uh, we're one that's now blown the, blown the rest of them away, so to speak. And a couple of ways you can measure that. 40% of the earth is now agriculture and farming. Uh, uh, 20 times the weight of all wild mammals, in other words, all the rhinos and lions and mice and rats and bats and everything else, 20 times the weight of all of them is represented by our weight and the weight of the mammals that we uh, grow for our own use, like cattle and sheep. Hmm. So when we're 20, 20 times everything else, and when we have 40% of the world under cultivation or grazing, small wonder that things would be becoming extinct. Yeah, and you say we're in this period of mass extinction. Are, are we at the beginning of this period? Or are we pretty far into this already? Yes. No, we're in the beginning of it. Uh, you know, it, it grows and grows. And uh, as it grows, it, uh, it becomes more and more obvious. Uh, conservation organizations like the International Union for the Conservation of Science um, estimate about... Um, 20% of the uh, kinds of organisms that they've measured are on the brink of extinction. And the basis of our paper is two other different kinds of measure. 
One is how many populations of certain groups that are well known like mammals were there 100 years ago and how many are there now or 50 years ago? Well, 50 years ago, there were about, as far as we know, about twice as many populations of mammals in places like Mexico as there are now. <laughs> and if populations are dying out, then species are dying out. The particular uh, twist in our paper was to look at the uh, land vertebrates, that would be birds, mammals, reptiles, and amphibians, which are some 35,000 species, and then uh, look at the way they're rated for probability of extinction, how big are their populations. It turns out there are over 500 of them that are down to less than 1,000, I mean, sorry, individuals. And uh, it turns out there are over 500 of them that are down to uh, under 1,000 individuals now, and half of those are down to under 250 individuals. So there are plenty of signs that things are going a lot faster than they ever were in the past. Hmm. And the pressure that human beings are putting on all the other organisms uh, that we live with are so obvious and so great that it's small wonder that they're go going extinct rapidly. Many people think that by the end of this century, uh, as much as a third of all kinds of organisms could still be alive, and for example, all of the tropical forests could be cut. Um, that's very bad for us because those are what generate uh, productivity, biological productivity that we use. Food, air, sh uh, shelter, clothing products, medicines, mm -hmm. um, and uh, as we lose those species, we lose the connectivity between them in those ecosystems. And as we lose that, they tend to become unraveled like any other systems. We're unraveling them without knowing really very much about them. You use a, a phrase in this paper that certainly caught my attention. Um, this phrase is extinction cascade. Tell me what you mean by that. All the species are linked with one another, and as key species go extinct, then many others that feed on them and other species that feed on them go extinct, or those that live on the decaying material from them. For example, the American chestnut was once a dominant tree in the forests of the eastern United States, and when it disappeared, uh, owing to a fungus that was introduced from Europe, which is an example of what how human beings are speeding it up, uh, all the organisms that specialized on it, which would have been hundreds and hundreds of species of insects and fungi and the like, and all of those that specialized on breaking it down uh, would have disappeared too, causing a cascade of extinctions from the loss of just one species. Hmm. We don't know exactly what the role that each species plays may be, but we know it's all connected with those organisms that it feeds on, those organisms that it breaks down, those organisms that it shelters with, those organisms that it pollinates, and all the other things. So this is obviously um, very scary. <laughs> You're talking about all these vertebrates on the brink. Has a vertebrate ever been able to come back from being on the brink? Well, uh, American bison were down to 350 individuals in 1890, and now they're up to about 2 million. So, so yes, is there hope uh, that, that some of these other vertebrates you're talking about, that we could see a similar well, sort of rebound? Let me refer to uh, the Global Footprint Network, which is a website I invite everyone to look up on their computers. 
Uh, Global Footprint Network uh, has estimated very carefully, using only UN statistics, dependable statistics, um, the amount of the natural productivity that we use up. And uh, it does this globally, and then it does this um, in terms of uh, individual nations or smaller groups also. And it, it's a very interesting read, Global Footprint Network. Hmm. And uh, in 1970, it is estimated that the people in the world were using up around, which were about half what they are now, we're using up around 70% of everything the world could produce. Uh, now we're using up about 175% of all the natural biological productivity of the world. Unfortunately, natural biological productivity tends to be stuck in economic formulas, which assume that the, the more you use, the more is produced, like work or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. But biological productivity has real limits. and. Uh, um, last year, we on about um, June 30th, we passed uh, using all of the biological productivity that was available, about 175% was being used. Uh, and this year, it'll go back because of the COVID virus by about 20%, but then hmm. presumably back up. The problem is that if we're grinding away at it faster than it can be produced, uh, it's like uh, um, holding somebody down. You you don't ever get out of it. Mm -hmm. There are lots of things you can do to soften it, but you don't ever turn it off, really. So is this and annihilation? Course, this, climate, climate, yeah. Is well, this climate inevitable? change is one of the very big things in it. Um, it's inevitable that there are going to be a lot that a lot of the species that are around now are going to disappear between now and the end of the century. And we don't know. And it's also true that we don't know the exact effect of that. We do know that we use many of them. We do know that many of them are connected in ways that we understand only poorly. And we also know that we haven't even seen most of them. We've seen no more than about one out of 10 of the kinds of organisms that are out in these ecosystems. Hmm. We, you can think pretty easily about the extinction of big mammals and things that are wandering around kind of obvious, but it's much harder to think of the extinction of, say, insects, maybe pollinators that nobody really knows are there, nobody knows they're doing their job, but we're unhinging the ecosystems that we're in and driving them to extinction. The trouble with biological extinction is it's permanent. Uh, if things disappear, they don't come back. They're gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's very serious when you figure that we evolved. We appeared in a living world uh, that was made up of all those other organisms as one of them playing a normal role, a small role, a limited role. But as our numbers grew, we came to the point where we dominated and we're basically blasting away at all the others. Uh, so the answer is, the important answer is everything we do will have a bearing on how bad it is, everything. What kind of transportation we use, how close we live to work, uh, what kind of food we eat, for example, you do a lot more damage to the ecosystem eating meat, which takes a lot more out of its productivity than if you're a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. uh, you, um, anything you do helps. 
And anything we do in the United States particularly helps because we use, well, we're using about three and a half times what we produce uh, inside the United States, like the other rich countries of the world. You can trace that in Global Footprint Network. And using much more than we can produce internally means we're sweeping other nations into the tank. And uh, they have uh, very little chance of, uh, of uh, saving their biodiversity or anything compared with us. And basically, we're all together. And uh, well, for example, we act as if Africa and Asia and everywhere are coming up to be like the United States if they only would develop better, have more education and so forth. But in fact, if everyone in the world consumed as we do in the United States at the level we do in the United States, it would take five planet Earths to produce enough to support us all. And that's, so, um, that's, that's obviously a, a terrifying thing. I mean, what would you see as having the most potential for human lifestyle changes that could actually make an impact in this moment if you had to, to isolate one or two things that we could do? Right. Well, the most important thing we can do, and it's funny because it leads us right back to Black Lives Matter, the most important thing we can do is love one another, care about one another around the world, recognize the fact that we're all individuals and that we're all operating this single planet together. People have been pointing that out from time to time, but we don't act that way. We, we have uh, us and them, and we take away from them to give to us. Making America great again means squeezing it out of the other countries in the world. Mm -hmm. Love and charity and caring are what are really going to make the world stable. And to do that, we've got to overcome our intrinsic selfishness. As I say, make America great again is a recipe for global disaster. Uh, you also had a, a point in here related to the coronavirus, which you mentioned earlier, how it's led to these lifestyle changes that have been good for the globe. You also write the horrific uh, coronavirus disease 2019 pandemic that we're experiencing is linked to wildlife trade. The ban on wildlife trade imposed by the Chinese government could be a major conservation measure for many species on the brink if imposed properly. What would you like to see happen with that? Well, you know, the problem is that so-called wet markets in China, which are where they grow wildlife and, and uh, eat them, uh, are one thing, which clearly are a source of disease. The problem with the rest is uh, many, many people in the world depend on hunting wildlife. And, uh, uh, in, uh, and we can't say, well, stop hunting wildlife. You know, I was uh, on a grant giving committee once and we were considering, well, how can you stop the people in... Uh, upper Volta in West Africa from eating chimpanzees and gorillas. Mm -hmm. Well, the point is they're starving. Uh, the the uh, eight richest people in the world have as much money as the 3.6 billion poorest people in the world. And if you were living in upper Volta, you couldn't stop eating chimpanzees and gorillas if you wanted to feed your children. So uh, diseases can come from that, but uh, uh, so many people in the world depend on that that it um, that it it's it's pretty unmanageable. And as you pointed I out, a, Americans are such a huge problem with this um, that you know we're contributing so much more than everybody else that we could uh, take over five whole planets. 
Right, and we have too many people in the world. You know, people don't like to talk about having fewer people, but uh, the world obviously isn't supporting the 7.9 billion we have now, much less the 10 billion that we'll have in 30 years. Um, looking with love, caring, charity, and understanding at other countries around the world and other people around the world is fundamental. Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter is a local, an important local manifestation about that. But we seem to be locked in a we-they kind of mentality where we get it and they don't. And you know, of course, women and children are huge in that kind of problem. There are about a billion women around the world who have, and children who have nothing of, of the 7.9 billion who have absolutely no say over their, over their destiny and no ability to contribute to the future of the earth because they're absolutely disenfranchised. Anything we do in the way of prejudice or limiting people or cutting them down, whether they be blacks in the United States or women or any other group or the people in Africa that we care so little about, will limit our, our capacity to deal with the world's problems. And um, unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to talk about today. But these are such serious issues. And, and Peter Raven, I want to thank you so much for joining us to illuminate them. You're very welcome. And Peter, again, is the President Emeritus of the Missouri Botanical Garden, and his new study on this is just out and very timely and, and frankly, frightening. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.